0: In each episode, I share actionable strategies that you can implement in your life plus inspiration along the way. So come join me for this episode of The Brendan Burns Show. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of The Brendan Burns Show. Joining us today is Dr. Daniel O'Neill, who is an orthopedic surgeon, sports medicine doctor, sports psychologist, and author on a mission to get children healthier and happier through maintaining what he calls their physical identity for life. At the intersection of physical health and sports, he's built a successful medical practice and revolutionary educational platform that's transforming today's approach to children's fitness. As an industry trailblazer, Dr. O'Neill is devoted to raising awareness about the link between children's loss of their physical identity and the likelihood of the later onset of obesity, physical lethargy, anxiety, and depression. Noted thought leader, he speaks and writes on the topics of exercise mindset, sports psychology, optimizing athletic performance, rehabilitation recovery, and motivating the non-athletic child from within. His latest book, Survival of the Fit, coming out this November will empower readers with a better understanding of the global obesity crisis and offer concrete yet simple solutions for creating healthier and happier children. Dan, welcome to the show.
1: Thanks Brendan, that sounds like a lot, I'm not sure. I'm tired just hearing that, but uh, yeah, thank you.
0: Hey. I'm delighted to be here. Great, and you seem to have pieced together quite a career. Uh, My first question for you is how did you choose this career in this industry for your work and your passion?
1: Yeah, that's a, that's a good question because it 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 does sort of go organically. You know, um, I started out when, when I was in medical school, my first rotation, you know, you fall in love with whatever you do first. I did oncology and m- myself, like a, a lot of other uh, families, you know, we had cancer deaths in my family. And, and uh, when I did that oncology rotation, I thought, boy, this is really cool and I can really help people. And then the next rotation was surgery. And then that was it, you know. So suddenly I'm, um, you know, cutting things and sewing things and putting catheters into things, and uh, and then you really saw how quickly somebody could get uh, better and, and really make a difference. My advisor then in medical school was a chest surgeon, and uh, you know, um, when I decided to do orthopedics, he said, "Well, don't you want to have that struggle? Don't you want to have that life and death struggle?" Um, um, uh, and I said, no, I don't really want to have the life struggle every day. I want my patients to have smiles on their face. I want them to do well. I want to fix that broken leg or or fix that uh, torn ligament or torn tendon and have them get back to their lives. So, so that's where the orthopedic um, uh, start kind of came. In terms of the um, sports medicine, that was just a natural extension of that, and and I always tell people the difference between a, a, a general orthopedic doctor and a sports medicine doctor is simply attitude, uh, that our job was not, you know, the old adage, well, if it, if it hurts when you do this, stop doing this. Uh, you know, our thing was, well, how can we get that person to not uh, have pain while they're doing that? And, and so it was really, sports medicine really came more from philosophy than, than anything, but then <laughs> um, a decade or so into my career, I realized that a big part of kids not getting better, and I was working with a lot of ski team uh, 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 kids in, in those days, and there was a big psychological component, uh, and particularly in terms of Alpine skiers, the kids over here would go over to uh, Europe uh, and same with cycle racers, and they'd just get destroyed over there. It was just another level. And so the psychological level was, was a big a part of it. And, and, and that was holding back a lot of the physical healing. So that's when I went back and and, uh, and wound up getting a doctorate in exercise and sports psychology. So uh, And since then, my work has been kind of, and the research I've been doing has kind of been uh, kind of jumping into those two uh, fields.
0: Mm -hmm. And at what stage in your career did you start to notice this obesity pandemic, this lack of physical identity? When did that start to be something on your radar that you would build passion for?
1: Yeah, that wasn't a significant issue in my practice. Most of the people in my practice, I am talking to about dialing things back or okay, you know, we, uh, you're having problems because of your shoulder, uh, 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 you know, doing Alpine skiing, perhaps, uh, and cross-country skiing. Maybe we could just go to the snowshoeing, whatever. In other words, making um, allowances for certain things when necessary, um, or, you know, taking a day off when necessary with a lot of our younger athletes. But, but clearly in that periphery out, out in the world, I was dealing with that 20%. And again, if we want to divide the world into that 80 20 rule, which, which really does work uh, very well in this case, 80% of the kids out there were, were not a problem having them not do things. It was, it was a problem to get them to do things. And my pediatrician colleagues were, you know, every day they're going in and saying, listen, you've got to get more exercise and they were seeing the obesity. And so it it was that, that, that I realized that I was seeing a really small percentage and, and it was that bigger percentage out there. That was the problem. And in the, in my 40 year career, we've really seen that build, and, you know, whether we like it or not, it was that introduction of the video games and and the
0: iPhones and stuff that really tip the scales. Mm-hmm. That that was my. Oh, go ahead, Anthony. I
2: was I was just going to say when you were dealing with pediatrics, you were seeing this on on one side of the spectrum, and you're dealing with sort of the output on the other. It's all related in between. What were you guys thinking in regard to school systems, to physical education at school, organized sports, these types of things? How how do you navigate that? Sort of scenario where parents think, oh, "My kid's on the baseball team; he can eat a bag of Doritos and play video games all day." How do you combat this?
1: So, right. So th- those those kids are are a, a tough bunch, and um, the food thing is a, is another huge issue that that I'm sure we'll we'll talk about a bit more. But but right, I've got those parents who have their kid playing baseball twelve months a year even in New Hampshire. So they're inside. And again, there's a kid that I'm trying to get into doing two or three or four sports because we know that even at the professional level, and every professional athlete will tell you the same thing, they played multiple sports as kids, and that's what really gave them health. So for sure, when I say that a lot of my kids, I was telling them they had to back off on some of the sports, they had to back off on that specific sport. You know, so many of our skiers are skiing almost 12 months a year when they add in South America and Europe. And 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 again, these baseball kids are playing baseball inside in New Hampshire in the winter. It's horrible, you know? And, and the basketball, as you know, hockey, uh, it used to be uh, all the hockey kids would go to Montreal for a week of camp every summer. That was a big deal. That was a big deal. All of a sudden, I found out they're not going to Montreal anymore. They're going everywhere in the country, in the United States, because they realized, you know, adults realized there was money to be made. And so they, they started having these venues for the hockey players. They have indoor skiing, they have indoor skiing in New Jersey. Uh, they have all these things. They have indoor uh, a baseball uh, pitching mounds here in New Hampshire. And then the kids are getting themselves burned out on these sing- single sports, so it became a big deal. In terms of the, the food um, aspects of it, I think you're right. I think that the parents they they just give up so often on that, and it's and it's quick and easy. And uh, the the family meal, unfortunately, uh, has gone uh, you know by the wayside, particularly with these uh, quote athletes unquote.
0: That's so interesting, Dan. Uh, You alluded earlier to, you mentioned video games and iPhones as contributing factors to what's gone on in our generation and uh, the obesity pandemic, especially with young people. What else, what significant changes do you believe to be the cause of why our generation is now going to have a shorter lifespan? Why the obesity numbers have spiked like wildfire, especially among very young children you mentioned video games. You mentioned iPhones. Also in your book, I believe you talk about because we have gadgets and remote controls and we don't move as much. We burn fewer calories every day. Talk more about what, how our society has shifted and like how we can think about being proactive to combat the changes that have occurred.
1: Yeah, you're right there. That, there's a lot to unpack there. One of the things I talk about in the book is what I call the 200 calorie um, surplus that you start out every day with because when I was a kid there was no tv clickers there was you know you were walking to school there was there was just all this calorie burning that you just did naturally well through modern conveniences and again the tv clicker being the great uh, 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 example of that we are not burning calories that we used to burn no matter what you know so 50 years ago you had no choice the only thing we do um uh, that I, I talk about in the book uh, in 2020 and again except for those in new jersey listening to this the only thing we do is pump our own gas that's the <laughs> only thing we do uh, that 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 we didn't do back in the day and so it, so so you're already at a disadvantage then when you add in these video games and and these other things these iPhones they are super addictive and, and, and people just can't stop. And so it, 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 that's the, the, you know, the next big uh, pin to fall is that we, we already have that uh, 200 calories that we're not burning, that are gonna be adding up uh, over the course of the year. But then the kids are not going out and playing in the afternoon because they have this incredible cool addiction. And, and, and I don't doubt that, that these are really fun, uh, exciting, uh, 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 but sadly, addictive things, the, the Fortnite and Call of Duty and, and, and uh, uh, Facebook. And the job of these uh, uh, entities is to make sure you keep playing Call of Duty, that you keep clicking on Facebook. That's their job. And they're really smart. I mean, you know, some of the best and the brightest are in Silicon Valley thinking about ways for your child to not put down that iphone to not turn off that computer just even for a second to not go outside uh because it's all dollars and um and so we we get it from both ends you're not burning calories you know uh uh, organically uh and then you're not uh, burning calories going out and playing because you're on the on the computer
2: yeah no yeah go ahead anthony I was just going to ask, is this something we can legislate our way out of, do you think?
1: (laughs) I think that we can't expect parents um, to solve this problem. We can't expect parents or pediatricians or school principals or teachers to solve this problem. I firmly believe the only way we can solve this is to legislate our way out of it. Even though people don't like to hear that, people don't like to think about the nanny state. Um, but but you're up against someone who you can't beat. You can't beat Steve Jobs and Ronald McDonald. They're 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 way past us, and they're playing. They're playing on our primitive brains to a certain extent when our primitive brains really need to go outside. But the forces of bad food and, 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 uh, and screen time are, are literally changing our brains. Um, and we can't, we can't fight it. Right now, this generation is, is, is lost. And, I, and I've, I've said that before and, I've, and it horrifies people. And I, I just got an email yesterday's uh, uh, someone who had heard a webinar and and they were saddened but i really believe that i, I really believe that this generation that the uh many 13 year olds out there are already gone and and to get them back is a herculean task again it's like losing weight after you're 100 pounds overweight it, it takes so much effort it can be done but it's a huge amount of effort and most parents don't have that time or that energy. They can't follow that child around and they don't want to. They don't want to have that relationship with their child. So it, it 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 has to come from above. But the legislation I'm talking about is not taking away iPhones. The legislation I'm talking about is a positive, and that's bringing, making sure kids get exercise every day.
0: Yeah. And I know that's a big part of your mission and, and the book and what you talk about, Dan. So flesh that out a little bit. You've talked about varsity sports and funding in schools and the, the wealthy school versus the impoverished school. Talk a little bit more about your philosophies and your proposed strategies for fixing this for, say, the next generation of children.
1: Right. So so here's my uh, uh, concept. And and there's a, uh, I have plenty of data to support this. But everybody listening to this has plenty of data to support this there is no puppy dog or child or even young octopus out there who is born who does not have what i define as a physical identity and that means they want to get out they want to roll in the dirt they want to put things in their mouth they want to touch things and 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 they want to experience nature and and that's that's their original primitive brain wiring and what we do as a society between the two-dimensional entertainment and the uh bad food is we drive this physical identity out of the child and then when the child goes to school of course he and she are you know stuck in seats and, and they have to do a certain amount of of sitting that goes against their physical identity But again, in the old days, these kids would explode out of their seats at recess or a gym class uh, or after school and go play. But now that doesn't happen. So my uh, theory is, if we do not allow children to lose their physical identity, they will stay in motion that they have when they are two, three, and four years old, and this will never leave them. By giving a child a physical education class Five days a week for thirty to forty-five minutes, and getting their heart rate up, playing, playing hard for thirty to forty-five minutes. They're going to get used to that, and they're going to to to, to need that. So I've had four dogs in my adult life, and we get out every day with these dogs, and they run free. Some of my neighbors are not so keen on this, but uh, but they're polite enough; they haven't said much. They run in the woods. So my four dogs have run as fast as they can every day. They're never, you know, they're not on leads, they just run as fast as they can. And and sure enough, every day you watch them and they're running as fast as they can at some point or another. So my two older dogs who are now died, they both had cancer, but up until the end, even with their cancers. They were still out running in the woods and chasing chipmunks and, and doing those things. That is their natural state. So, even with these tumors growing in them, their natural state was still to go out and stay active into old age. And that's what humans will do. We'll do the same thing. If we get these kids moving, moving fast, moving at, you know, and lifting things and, and climbing things every day. That's their natural state. They're not going to stop doing that. Even with the iPhone and even with the, the uh, video games and even with the bad food, they're not going to stop doing that. And because their natural state now is to be out in nature, they're also going to make better choices with food, with lifestyle choices, because that's where their primitive brain is working you know, for us. Our primitive brain works against us when we're driving in traffic, right? When you start screaming at that person, that's your primitive brain. And we all have that. Our primitive brain works against us when the alarm clock goes off at at four in the morning. That's our primitive brain working against us. But our primitive brain will work for us because it wants health, it wants good food, it wants activity. And that's what we have to allow these kids to keep.
0: So sure. I just hang on one second. So when we talk about phys ed classes, uh, five days a week, 30, 45 minutes moving. Well, I, I love that. But, but what gets in the way of that? Like, why doesn't that happen? And how could we implement that?
1: Yeah, the, 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 the shorter answer is everything gets in the way. Um, the first thing that gets in the way is time. Um, and uh, these kids are stretched uh, with uh, other unified arts and, and, and activities that they have to do. The biggest thing that uh, that took away from physical activity in everybody's lifetime was No Child Left Behind. When they enacted No Child Left Behind in 2002, the time came from PE class in, in, in half of the schools, and nothing changed in terms of achievement in math and English, which was the concept of No Child Left Behind. But what did change is the kids just got fatter because we had less PE. So it's, it's a super complicated thing, but the first problem is time. The second problem is, is space. And when you talk to uh, a lot of um, schools or a lot of PE teachers and such, they do, they are maximizing their space. If they have a gym, uh, you know they're they're lucky, but there are some schools that don't even have a gym. So we've put together a, a PE program where space and, and 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 equipment is not an issue. We have a really low tech uh, program uh, in the book. Um, the third issue is is cultural in that the teachers, aren't always on board. So, and and even starting before the teachers, parents don't always understand that academics is tied to fitness. As I say, you can't have STEM, uh, science, technology, um, engineering, and and math. You can't have STEM without fitness. So STEM is the big buzz uh, 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 phrase now in, in schools. We want to have more STEM students. We can't have STEM without fitness. And not only do the parents not understand that their child's fitness is tied to their academics, but there are many teachers who don't. And I had uh, a classroom teacher uh, that I interviewed for the book uh, and, and many others, and this is a, a young, you know, bright, uh, active teacher. She did not realize the, the um, connection between academics and, um, um, uh, and fitness, although it's, it's well known and it's been documented time and time and time again. So, there are there, there are just so many things working against us which is which brings us back to that legislation uh, issue that you mentioned earlier I don't see the schools doing it and and I would say the last thing about um, the you know one of the roadblocks as I say in the book is that it has to be a school-wide um, experience and I, as i say you know our school is in motion that has to be our motto and these kids got to be moving and whether it's an art class whether it's a music class whether it's you know, between classes we've got to move i had one uh, a, a person email me saying that uh, where they are they're they're um uh, in ireland and saying that lawsuits have become a big issue and that when the kids are in school. They're constantly being told not to run, which is incredible to me to try to tell a child not to run. But so a long answer to a, a, a much uh, a, a tougher question, yeah.
2: Dan, um, you seem to have a common theme with your book. You you have a call to motion, I'm calling it, not a call to action. I think that's very important. I I see how you're tying healthy body to healthy mind. Where do you see this book sort of solving problems for people or raising the alarm? Where, where do you send the book? Who needs to be reading this? Who should be following your blueprint, which you spent decades plus really developing and, and noticing? Where do you put this? Whose hands does this get into in your eyes?
1: So... Every state in the country has state standards for PE. And essentially all of them um, talk about the obesity crisis, talk about the fact that children are not getting as much exercise as they should, that children are not playing outdoors the way they should. So we know it on the state level. The problem is is that most school, school um, uh Rules or or our or district levels, right? So that is, so that's one of the thing the, the big things in America is that we've given education to the local school districts, which makes our education disparate because it depends on how rich your school district is. Uh, a, a politician uh, uh, came on my webinar uh, recently and and said, you know, we can do something in the state. But it's up to the school district to make those uh, 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 changes. So we've got to get this book into the hands of the superintendents and the principals. But I think that i I, I think that they have so much on their plate that It's going to have to come from below. It's really going to have to come from the grassroots, from the PTA, from the parents, from the parents who are seeing their kid not getting enough uh, exercise and coming home. When that parent sees that kindergartner, and again, we've got to start when these kids are young because once that kid is in seventh grade and they're getting on the computer when they get home, it's over. But if we can get that kindergartner and not let that kindergartner sit on the couch and get out into that city park or get out into the woods or get out uh, 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 into the ocean, then then we've got something. So I think without the parents getting involved, without those 80% of the parents whose children are overweight or obese and have lo- or are losing their physical identity, without them, I don't think this is going to um, uh, take off because the superintendents and the principals and the, uh, uh, the teachers are going to read this book, and they need to read this book, and they need to understand the the very clear uh, connection between academics and and uh, uh, athletics and and fitness. But but then COVID nineteen shows up, and then they're like, "I've got other things to deal with now, Danny. I can't be dealing with you know PE class." And, and but but if it's not COVID nineteen, you know. It's something else. Um, and, and there's always something getting in the way. And we've had this system and, and it's just not working. And that's, I think, Anthony, what the biggest thing is that it doesn't work. The system does not work for the majority of kids. And this is what we have to understand and, and start acknowledging. Um, the people that are making decisions are older. And unless you grew up with an iPhone, and those kids, for the most part, are not um, principals and, and, and superintendents at this point. Unless you grew up with an iPhone since 2007, you don't get the power of this. You don't understand how how addictive and and, and evil really all this stuff is. Um, and and yeah, so so the change has to come, I think, everywhere. But but the parents i hope if if i'm a parent of a of a young kid right now I, i'm going to go to my school and and start a fuss yeah
0: that's great you know my last podcast episode i talked all about the social dilemma documentary and about how to use your phone less i'm a huge proponent of keeping the phone powered off of setting limits and i had a friend over at my house uh, about 2 weeks ago and she knows that I keep my phone either powered off or in the drawer over here. And I, I needed to make a call or something. I said, hey, can you grab my phone? She said, yeah, where is it? I said, oh, it's in the inside the drawer in the kitchen. And she started making fun of me. Oh, my God, you keep your phone in a drawer. You, what do you keep it under the mattress, you old man? <laughs> and it's like, you're trying to make fun of me for being the only one who's thinking about this, right? I mean, maybe um, maybe we're all wrong, but I don't think we are. And so when I look at the cell phone, it, to me, it's it doesn't have to be a drug, but it's used like a drug as we're talking about very often. And I feel like it's a drug that I need an excuse to explain to people why I'm not using it. Like I have to defend myself for not engaging in this insane addictive behavior. And so, you know, sort of to echo Anthony's question is, to build on it, but also look at the parents. If you were, I mean, you look like you're 30, but let's say you were actually 30 and you had young children and they they want, they say, daddy, daddy, I want a cell phone. Daddy, daddy, I want to go play video games at my friend's house. How do you as a parent try to contribute to solving this problem? Ideally I'm getting out
1: like we do with our puppy dogs you know we're getting the kids outside and 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 when our uh, 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 kids were younger for sure um, they were out outdoors uh, um, and they were kind of at that beginning of that uh, 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 cell phone and and, uh, 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 fortnight crisis Um, so for sure the parents do have to make a stand but it's a lot easier if they can make that stand right from the beginning and and they they say well that this is just not what our family does and um, um i remember a, a, a friend of mine who's a, a professional athlete um and his mother signed him up for soccer when he was 13 and um she says oh you got soccer practice next week and he's like oh, i don't want to play soccer this year she said well Sorry, I signed you up, so, you know, you got to go now, you know, but, and so, you know, if the parents just, just kind of take that attitude, well, you know, sorry, that's just not what we do. You know, that might be fine for the Joneses, but that's not what we do as a family. And I know that sounds incredibly simplistic, but again, you've got to start that attitude really early. And then the, the kids will assimilate that, but then you also have to give them their dose of mother nature on the weekends. And, and and that's why parenting really is so much harder. I used to think there was no difference between being a kid in you know 2000 and being a kid in, in, in 1960, but there's a huge difference. And in 2020, it's even worse. And so the parents do, if, if you wanna be a parent and you want things to go well, you have got to make that time for those children on the weekends and show them how cool mother nature can be. And this is everywhere. This, you can do this in inner cities. You can do this in the country. You can do this in the suburbs. You can find cool aspects of mother nature everywhere. And and then, and then the kid understands better. And then when you add on some veg on the plate every night and you add up ideally a, a family dinner every night, Now you really got the ball rolling. And again, I appreciate that this is the, uh, you know, an ideal, but if we have kids, we've got to do it. You know, if you have puppy dogs, they have to go out and run every day. If you have kids, you have to do this.
0: Yeah. So you you wrote a book uh, a number of years ago, which was more academic, I believe, more technical. And now you've written Survival of the Fit, which is very mission-driven, very passion-infused, very powerful. When did you decide you were going to write this book? What is the genesis of this book coming out?
1: Yeah, it's interesting. So when I first got into practice, I realized that one of the, one of the reasons my patients weren't um, doing as well as they should is they just didn't know what to do. You know, uh, they, they, and, and again, when you, when you go to the doctors, you're there for you know, 15 minutes, you go to the physical therapist, you might be there for half an hour or 45 minutes, but the vast majority of your time, you're home recovering or, or, or you're on your own recovery. So I started putting together these uh, manuals uh, um, for recovery uh, from these things. And, and then one of them, because knee surgery is, is so much the most common thing we do, I put together a, a, a bigger and bigger uh, uh, book for that, uh, recovering from knee surgery, and in it I had some poetry and I had some some sports psychology and and uh, again just trying to get people to kind of go on this mission of of um, knee rehabilitation, as it were, and, and try to make it as as fun uh, as possible. Then I realized that well you know we should publish this book, and when I published the book. They took out all the poetry, and they took out a lot, some of the sports psychology, but some of it is still in there. But we've just gotten great uh, uh, reviews from that. And then, then, 2007 came, I suppose, and the iPhone came, and and I and and kids and the have and the have-nots became clearer to me. Uh, in other words, the kids that weren't obese. Uh, that, that were um, keeping their physical identity were the haves. Those are the kids with the parents who were taking them to the soccer games and the basketball games and making sure that they had activity. And the other kids were falling further and further behind and it, and it was very obvious to me, except those other kids are 80% of our population, 75% of our population. It's not a, a, a tiny number. And I think that as you get older, you start to appreciate the have and the have nots. And, and we're seeing it so much in, 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 in what's going on in our country uh, uh, today uh, on a lot of levels. But I think you get perspective. You know, one of my professors says it's good to have some gray hair, or in my case, I've taken that to the next level. And 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 so when I saw that. I realized that I had to do something about it and that was kind of the genesis of survival of the fit Um, because we don't need, it doesn't need to be 80, 20. We we should be having 80% of kids uh, fit um, minimum, uh, not 20% of kids fit. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
0: Anything else that we didn't touch on that you think is an important part of the book or their mission or this whole process?
1: yeah i I mean we touched on the primitive brain and i think that it's with incredible hubris on our parts that we've tried to ignore the 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 primitive brain um again i can sit here and open the curtains or or open the tv or or what did i hear on the radio yesterday oh you can turn on you can be driving home and turn on your grill Uh, from your phone. Uh, This is, this is out there. And um, and I just couldn't believe it. I'm thinking, well, how did the steak get on the grill? But you know, Um, and, and so we think we can do so much. And I always, I also have a saying, if you have breakfast in Boston, you can't die from mother nature. Because here in New Hampshire, every weekend, and I guarantee you on Monday, you turn on the radio, hear the same thing. This guy got rescued off Mount Washington or Mount Adams, or this person was lost in the Pemi wilderness, et cetera, et cetera. They had breakfast in Boston. They can't die from out of the nature. They can't die out on the ocean. We've lost touch with our primitive brain and, and, and shame on us you know, for, for doing that. The other uh, the two things I, I would say <laughs> is the concept of obesity is, is a new construct. This is something that really only come into effect in the last 100 years, but really in the last 50 years, in the last two generations. This is not our natural state. Our natural state is to be hunter-gatherers. Our natural state is to be out there in the woods, not doing, uh, what is it, 10,000 steps you're supposed to do, doing closer to 20,000 steps. This is our natural state, and this is what we strive for in our primitive brains, and by not giving us that um, giving your, yourself that, uh, it, it's, it's unacceptable. And, and that's where a lot of the struggle comes. That's where a lot of our mental uh, struggle comes and the, the depression and the anxiety because we're not, um, we're not really listening to our, our primitive brains. Um, and then the last thing I would say is that the other a big a portion of this is the athlete, non-athlete, athlete divide. When we were kids, if you weren't playing organized sports, you were still riding your bike, and you were still building forts, and you were still, you know, being a knucklehead doing stuff. Now, because we have this incredible option of sitting on the couch and dominating in in, in uh, Call of Duty or, or or whatever, the kids that feel like they're quote non-athletes unquote, and again, I hate that term. They they gravitate to that and 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 that's so sad and those kids are not going to have contented and happy lives because they're missing that connection they're missing that primitive brain connection with mother nature and we we just can't let that happen we can't let only the haves and only the 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 kids that are lucky enough to have parents who are recognizing this um have have healthy lives this is we have the money we have the attack we have the the wherewithal to understand this.
0: Yeah, you know, one of the things from your book that really stood out to me was this concept of we should be walking nine to 13 miles a day, if I have those numbers right. And I was walking a few miles a day at the time with my dog, primarily. And what would happen was after the second or third mile, I would start to tell myself, oh man, you know, I'm tired. Uh, This is probably as far as I can go. I don't want to push myself too hard. And so to have your manual sort of tell me that I have the capability and capacity to go a lot further and that, in fact, I should be going a lot further was inspiring, but also gave me like a toolkit of something to work off of. So I think we forget how movable, how resilient, how athletic we actually are as a species When we live in what I've heard people call the box culture, you live in a box, you get in a box, and you drive to your box where you work all day, you eat lunch out of a box, you put the box away, you finish your work in the box, and then you drive back home in your box to your room, which is a box where you turn on a box and you watch a show, and then you go to sleep. And so just that nine to 13 miles really woke me up and said, okay, I can go for five walks a day with my dog, two miles each, or I can just keep going and I'll be okay. And that's been helpful. You know, just a short sentence that I pulled from your book. I love that. And, and you didn't mention the ultimate box that uh, finishes our life too, but yeah,
1: but <laughs> absolutely. We are built, we are built to run and, 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 and walk and move many miles a day. That's what you that's why we've got these these big butts uh, for. for and, and that's how we have dominated as a species that we, because we can run longer than almost any other species, you know what happens is, is a, 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 a lion has to stop because they, they can't perspire. So they have to stop. They can run faster than us, but they have to run, then they have to stop and pant and and cool down meanwhile we're, we're catching up and then they see us we're catching up and they run again and eventually we exhaust them and, and you know things don't go well for the lion so yeah we're a remarkable species and then you add the brain and now you add us cooperating with you know four or five other uh human hunters and uh next thing you know we have seven billion uh, humans on the
0: planet while. you know, one of my um, someone who inspires me a lot is a former Navy SEAL named David Goggins, and Goggins will run in these hundred mile, twenty four hour races, and he's done two hundred mile. They're they're called ultra marathons, and he talks a lot about this as well. It's it's talk. You know, we we walk, we wear a watch, we we got our double cheeseburger, we're working all day, and oh, our watch says I walked you know five hundred steps. I deserve my next cookie now. <laughs> it's just like. Totally backwards, Um, but anyway, thank you for telling this this critical story that we must all hear. Um, When does the book officially come out? Where can people get it?
1: It's available for pre buy right now on Amazon, and the official publication date is going to be the 18th of December. Uh, So uh, I would encourage uh, anybody, uh, and 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 again, it's essentially all of us out there who need to um get this book into the hands of somebody, because again, this generation is, 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 is lost, uh, and we can't afford another generation to be lost. It's, it's just, you know at the end of the day, as you talk about it and, and, and on your show uh, uh, many times, uh, we want to have fun. we want to enjoy ourselves. Yeah. And being healthy is is a big part of that. and, and, and our natural state is to be healthy. So it's not has, doesn't have to be this onerous, painful, you know, get up at five in the morning and, and, and get on that treadmill kind of thing. It can be pretty natural uh, if we start early. So.
0: Yeah. I, well, I, I always tell people that I say, if you hate running on a treadmill, don't run on a treadmill. I, I don't run on a treadmill. I, yeah. my, my favorite sports are tennis. Uh, I'm learning surfing now out here in California uh, mm-hmm. paddleboarding. I mean, these are all so much fun to me. And so how can you listeners think about what do you, how can you get these nine miles in doing something you really enjoy? I know Dan, you're an avid biker, right?
1: Absolutely. And, and also, you know, on that same thing, what can I do with my kids so yeah. I can get that exercise? And, and you yeah. know, I tell people, you know, if you're bringing the kid to the, to, the, to the ball field, while they're playing ball, you know, you can do a couple of laps or something. And, yeah. and obviously with the dog, you know, I, I ask all my patients, do they have a dog? Well, tr- trust me, your dog wants to get out and, and, and walk a lot more uh, probably than they are right now. And so, you know, you, how do I do it? And, you know, I, I talk about that Sunday night uh, training plan. What does my week look like with work? When, what's the weather look like? When can I get out and get these uh, exercise and, and get out and have some fun uh, outdoors? And, uh, and, it, and it works, you know, and make sure that's a priority on your schedule for sure.
0: Amazing. Guys, this is Dr. Dan Dan O'Neill. We have Survival of the Fit. It's available for pre-order on Amazon. Dan, what's one final message, quote, word of wisdom, piece of advice you want to leave our audience with?
1: Um, so to, one of the things we know about Alzheimer's is about getting old, which is something I worry about for sure is where the one thing we know absolutely is good for your brain and, and your brain health is exercise, is, is getting your heart rate up. And it's the same for your kid, you know? So getting your heart rate up is getting your brain rate up. And it's, so it's great for you. If you're getting older, you're worried about Alzheimer's, it's great for your kids because they're gonna do better academically. So, and guess what? It, it's, it's what we do as a species, it, it's part of our wiring. So don't be afraid.
0: You guys heard it best from the expert, Dr. Daniel O'Neill. Thank you again so much for coming on the show. Thanks, Brendan. Thanks,
1: Anthony. It was my pleasure.
0: Thank you for tuning in to another episode of The Brendan Burns Show. If it's your first time here, please make sure to subscribe on the Apple Podcasts app or in Spotify. Also, please leave us a rating or written review. This helps others learn about the show and spread the word to new and more people. Lastly, if you're looking to take your personal life, business, or career to the next level and you want access to me as well as my community of like-minded people, head over to courses.brendonhburns.com and join us in Mastery Academy, my membership site that comes with online course content as well as live coaching calls every two week, hosted by me personally. Thanks again for listening and have a great day.